going to wrap up our series on following Jesus, but it doesn't mean you stop following him after today, okay? This is just us going through the month of January, following Jesus into the new year. Kobe! Good to see you, man. Welcome all the way from Hawaii. We have people coming from all over the place because this church is just so amazing. All the way from Hawaii. Um, and so we're going to wrap this up tomorrow. Next Sunday, we're going to launch. Mark's going to open up uh, the book of Acts. It's going to be awesome. But today, I want to um, finish this message with, I think, a very important um, perspective on running your race. Did you know that your walk with Jesus, the Bible actually calls it a race. Did you know that? It's called a race. And the idea of a race is to win. But whenever you're in a race, you're going to run into hardships, obstacles, trials. There are going to be people that are cheating, maybe busting your kneecaps if you're an ice skate, ice skater, right? Or, or tripping you or cutting you off or taking steroids or whatever it might be. Or your own personal training and the, the uh, dedication and the, the financial stresses. Whatever the, op- whatever the obstacles are, as an athlete... You are fixed on your goal because you want to win that prize. It's the exact same way with your walk with Christ. My family, a good metaphor for this, my family enjoys watching American Ninja Warrior. You ever watched that before? All right, it's a great metaphor for the Christian walk. Watch this. American Ninja Warrior. From when we started this season at Venice Beach... To our final runs here on the Vegas Strip. We've seen some wicked wipeouts. And spectacular falls. Our competitors have definitely taken a beating. Yet they only seem to bounce back. He's okay. In qualifying, Dustin Rocco hit the water so hard, oh my goodness, he burst his eardrum. He's definitely hurting right now. Though dazed and confused for a few minutes, looks like he's going to be all right. He recovered and vowed to return next season. Ben Musholt actually dislocated his shoulder climbing up the warp wall. Uh, look, it looks like he's in real pain now, Johnny. Yet he pulled himself up with one arm and finished the course. And on stage one here in Vegas, Louis Moso twisted his knee on an early obstacle. Oh, and wow, that impact really seemed to take its toll on the knee. But despite the injury, you can see the pain on his face, Johnny. He refused to quit. We'll soon find out if we see our first ever American Ninja Warrior. But one thing is certain. We've already seen plenty of warriors. Aren't you inspired? (laughs) The reason I chose that clip on purpose, even though it got a little graphic, is because they didn't quit. There are other ones I watched the clips and they were just guys failing. That was the end of it. And I thought, well, that's depressing. They didn't quit. And you can't quit. You can't quit on Jesus and you can't quit on his call that he has set before you. Let's look at uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great, such a huge crowd of witnesses, that is those who ran before us, they're in heaven, they're in the bleachers in heaven watching you run your race right now, to the life of faith, let us, watch this, let us strip off every weight, every weight that slows us down. Especially the sin that so easily trips us up. That says, let us do it, which means we have the power to do it. You have the power. You're not dominated by sin or weights. Right here it says that you have the power to strip them off. That's good news right there. You don't have to be victimized. And let us, everybody say it out loud. Say it again. Let us. One more time. Let us run with endurance the race God has set before you. God has set a race before you. It's your spiritual race. We do this, we do this by keeping our eyes on who? Jesus. 
the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. I better say Jesus in case those online didn't hear me, didn't hear you, and I didn't say it. Keeping your eyes on Jesus, because of the joy awaiting him, because of the joy of him seeing his dad and his father saying, Woo, well done, son, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross. Talk about an obstacle. Dis- disregarded the shame of being stripped naked, being called a fatherless son, and you know the word for that, in Jerusalem, and being saying you're demon-possessed, you're a deceiver of the people. Disregarding the shame, now he's seated at the right place of honor besides God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you will not get weary and give up. Jesus is our example. He went through a lot more hell than you and I ever will, and he never gave up because he wanted to win his race and receive the prize, which was not only the pleasure of the Father and sitting down at the right hand of the throne of God, but it was for your salvation and my salvation. That was his prize. Can we all just say, thank you, Jesus? Just, just stop and just say, thank you, Jesus. My daughter was getting out of the car today, and she got, I'm all wet. And I dropped my, 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 she's not in her, so I can get away with this. Dropped my shirt in the water. She was, that's it. I'm giving up. I'm not going to church. She was kind of being tongue-in-cheek. I said, well, isn't it great that Jesus wasn't, like, hanging on the cross saying, forget this. It's too hot out here today. I'm giving up on this. She's like, serious? She goes, really, Dad? <laughs> really? Thank God he didn't give up. On us. So let us not give up on him. Look what 1 Corinthians 9, 24 and 25 says. Do you not know that in a race, there's the the term race again, all runners run, but only one gets the prize. That means only one of you are going to get to heaven. It depends on who's going to run the fastest and stay the most committed. That's a very poor interpretation of that if you're a visitor. I'm just kidding. Run in such a way, that's my point of the message today, run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training that they do not get it. And they do it to get a crown that will not even last. We do it. Everybody say, we do it. This is about us right here. It's our turn. The baton's been handed to us. We do it to get a crown that will last forever. Your time, your talents, your treasures, the way you use them right now, starting today, accumulates your rewards in heaven. And Jesus Christ himself will call your name on judgment day, not for your sins, but for your reward. He will call you up and he will put a crown on your head and say, well done, good and faithful servant. It also says, Paul says, some will barely make it to heaven and they will have no rewards. I don't want that to be me. I do not want it to be you. So today I want to hit three big obstacles that are in your way to running your ways, finishing your race and how to overcome them. And I'm hoping we can get to the fourth one, which is a big one. And I'm going to call that the bonus round. Okay. So the first obstacle like this American Ninja Warrior that you're going to run into is fear, fearfulness. Fear is crippling. You know, that last scripture I just read to you about, there are athletes who run in strict training to finish their course, to win a perishable crown. I remember a time where fear just gripped me and almost derailed my assignment. I was invited by Catherine Lotz, who's a member of our church here, to do her mother's uh, memorial service. Her mother was a world-renowned triathlete. In fact, when she died, she was the front... She was the front page of, uh, of Yahoo um, um, site. And uh, so she asked me to do the, the funeral service. So I went there, and I'm sitting on the front row with hope, and I've got my message ready. And this is the message. Don't run for a perishable crown. And as I'm sitting there, they have world-class violinists up on the stage. Then they have world-class authors and gurus. And there's about a thousand people there, upper echelon, CEOs. I mean, this is a high level, highly affluent, highly educated crowd. And the more it went on, the more new age it became. And the more new age it became, the more the message of the gospel is to be repudiated. And I'm sitting there on the front row thinking my message is black and white, heaven and hell. Don't run for a perishable crown. I'm going to ask Hope to go start the car. 
Because if I dare preach this message, there's going to, it's going to be crickets, right? There's not going to be anybody doing the, the hallelujah rag like Rick was earlier back there at the soundboard. And so I had come to the, the I was intimidated. Fear started gripping me. You better not preach this message. It will not be well received. And I was thinking how Catherine picked me on purpose because she knew what I would do. And her mother, I wanted to honor her faith. But I started concluding that I'm going to change my message. I was literally rewriting it in my head while I was there on the front row to make it palatable and nice and comforting. You know, I just get up and read Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Although he's not shepherd to probably most everybody who's there. But let's pretend like he is because I don't want to offend you, right? I could go that route. And I recognized fear. And I thought, I've made a determination in my life that fear is not going to dictate my destiny. Fear will not dictate my thinking. When I'm in a conversation with somebody and I start getting fearful about telling the truth, if fear is involved, whatever I say, it's not going to be motivated by fear. So I kick fear out. When I prepare sermons and I think about how well received it might or might not be, and I start thinking about critical members of the congregation, I, I can't write scriptures based on what they think and how they feel. I've got to be faithful to the Word of God. So I reject fear. Fear about stepping out and doing something that's risky and people say is, is, is not a good idea, but I believe God's telling me to do it. Fear will always try to cripple you. So I decided... Let the chips fall where they may. I will not allow fear to dictate. I believe the Holy Spirit gave me this message. So I stood up there and like Winston Churchill, man, I grabbed a hold of that pulpit like this. It was the only friend I had in the entire room, I think, besides my wife. And I preached and I mean, it was amazing. I walked up there nervous as a cat in a room full of rocking chairs. But when I stood there and I started preaching... The Spirit of God came on me, and I mean, I was like Churchill, man. I was thundering, man. It was like, it was like Smith Wigglesworth, man. I was preaching the gospel, and I mean, I was thinking to myself as I'm doing it, oh, son, chill out. Slow down. Take it easy. But I knew I was anointed in that moment for that purpose. These people were going to go to heaven or hell. I preached that message, and I got done. I didn't know what to think. There wasn't any shouting or clapping. I got done. And the guy who does her cycling repairs, this is the, the guy that repairs all of her stuff so she can do what she does. She came, came up to me and said, that message cut me to the heart. He said, I'm a Christian. And she never knew it. In fact, I'm afraid to tell anybody in this industry that I'm a Christian, but no more. <laughs> oh, yeah. Woo! And then another one, and then another one, and then another one. See, if you don't allow fear to dictate your destiny, you'll create a jet stream for other believers to grab a hold of the boldness that you're walking in. And then they will become, once again, the light of the world. Can I hear an amen? amen. So what has God called you to do? Where do your fears lie? You've got to learn to recognize fear and call it what it is and move out in spite of it. Boldness isn't always an absence of fear. It's moving out in the face of fear. Think about Joshua, chapter 1. Moses is dead. Joshua now. He had no idea he was going to be the point guy. He didn't sign up for this. He was assisting Moses. Let Moses take the heat. Let Moses take the hits. I'll just implement the vision. I remember when God called me to be a senior pastor of a church, the Pioneer Church. I said, no, I'm not a visionary. I like being the number two guy. He said, you still are. I said, I can do this. I can do that. He said, you implement my vision. So if it goes down, it's his fault, right? No, I'm kidding. So I just listen and obey. Where do your fears lie? So he told Joshua, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not. Four times in nine verses, God has to tell Joshua, the man of faith, fear not. Fear visits all of us. But he stepped out in spite of fear and led the children of Israel into the promised land. You can't be afraid to be a dad, to be a husband, to be a wife. To be a professor, a teacher, a lawyer. To be a witness for Christ wherever you are. 
to pray for the sick, to share your faith. You can't let fear dictate your destiny. And fear really comes from unbelief. Unbelief that God's going to be there for you when you step out and what you know he's called you to do. Unbelief. That's where fear really comes from. I am going to be all by myself and God is not going to be there with me. You might not process that in your mind, but that's really going on in your heart. Because if you believe God's there with you, you'll do what Moses did and point a stick at the Red Sea. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, we're talking about a stick at a sea with three million people behind you depending on your wisdom. And an Egyptian army behind the three million people coming to put you back into slavery or just to run you over and wipe you out. And so what's the plan? I'm going to point my stick at the water. I mean, really, we've seen the movie, we've read it, and we think that's awesome. Be there for a moment. Just be in his shoes for a moment. Here's the plan. Because God told me to shake my stick at the sea. I'm going to go home and try it with a, like a toothpick and a glass of water. Let's start small. I mean, that's, that's like how irrational that strategy is. Let's see if we can split the water into a glass of water first. Let's practice, start small. No. He has to start with the Red Sea. But he knew God told him to do it. Could you imagine how his brain was arguing with him about this plan? But he obeyed simple obedience and a seemingly dumb assignment. Split the Red Sea. That's all God's looking for is your obedience, even in the face of fear. Thank you. Anybody else want to say amen to that? Unbelief is really about not, fear is really coming from unbelief, that he really is not going to be there for you when you step out in his name. Fear can also be a cloak for laziness. God gave every one of you time, talents, and treasures. God does not like excuses. I just want to say it about our dad. He does not like excuses. So he gives this guy some talents, and the guy buries them. And then when it came to his day of accountability, his day of rewards, metaphorically of the day of our rewards, your rewards when you get to heaven, Jesus gives this parable. He gives this guy some talents. The guy buries them in the ground. And then the owner comes back and says, so where's my return on the investment? I gave you some money to invest. Where's the return? And he points to the guy and says, I was afraid. And he starts talking about the character of the, the guy who gave him the talents. And yet the owner looked and said, no, here's the problem. You're lazy. So I'm going to take your talents and give them to somebody else. He actually called them wicked and lazy. Wicked because you're blaming other people for you not running your own race. And lazy because the reality is you just don't want to put in the hard work. But he said, I was afraid. And God took that, that cloak off, that excuse of fear and said, no, really, it's that you're lazy. God will not do for you what you are required to do for yourself. You've got to step out. I remember when Hope and I were, felt that the Lord called us, or gave her a dream, to adopt a special needs child from overseas. Hey, we didn't have the money to do that. We didn't have the emotional reserve to do that. We already had three children. I mean, two to three, you know, will break your brain. Three to four special needs adopted from overseas and you don't have any money. That's crazy talk. But we knew it was the Lord. And so when we stepped out, when we stepped out, into the deep waters to adopt Samuel from Vietnam, we, we had to step out. We uh, went to a dinner the next night. That's our stepping out. We went to a, a, a missions dinner. And we met somebody who was from Vietnam. We just got back from Vietnam for adopting. And I'm sorry, I'm trying to expedite this story for the sake of time, but let me say this quickly. When we prayed and said, yes, Jesus, we will adopt a special needs child from overseas. Now, that's one big mouthful right there. Yes, we will adopt a special needs child from overseas. What? Never even was on my radar before I met Mother Teresa. I mean, Hope. And so that was a big prayer for me to pray. That night, God gives her a dream that she was walking down the streets of Ho Chi Minh City. That night. The next night, we go to a missions dinner. See, we are acting on on our faith there's no provision but we're acting fear of provision the fear of having a fourth child the fear of it being special needs all of that 
We said that at that dinner, there was somebody that just got back from Ho Chi Minh City with an adoption agency. And they said, so we went to the websites and they said adoptions closed down in Vietnam. Three different websites, adoptions closed down because of baby trafficking. The last website, down in the bottom right corner, a little line said, except for special needs adoptions. So we clicked on it. We go there. There's only two children to be adopted. One of them happens to be in Ho Chi Minh City. The exact dream that God gave to Hope. So we step out. There's a whole bunch of stories along that. We are, we are amazed at how God's divine activity is activated around widows and orphans. We, we've never seen anything like it. We've, we've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on both of our special needs children so far, and not one penny has come out of our pockets. Not one penny. It's been miraculous, amazing stuff. So when I get home, I'm still freaking out because Hope, in the meantime, got pregnant. So now we went from three to five. I come to church, and a man comes up to me and says, God told me to give you my car. And I said, well, that sounds like the Lord. <laughs> and then a couple of months later, he didn't say anything about it. Since then, I see him at church. I'm like, well, huh, huh. we didn't talk about it. So I'm not going to go up to him and say, hey, wait a minute. Like, where's the car, man? So I'm like, whatever. So a couple of months later, he came back to me and he said, God told me to give you my car, but I'm having a hard time with it because it's a really nice car. And I said, if you enjoy living in disobedience, just go on with yourself. So he gave me the keys. I didn't need a car. I thought, why is this happening? The license plate of the car was five. I should have brought your picture. Five. That's how many children I had now. Ava, spelled E-V-A, which is the European writing, which is very rare in the United States. E-V-A, which was the baby Hope just had. And 704, which was Samuel's birthday from our special needs son we just adopted from Vietnam. Talk about a personalized license plate. You can go get yours from DAV if you, if you want to. Every time I got in that car and put my hands on that steering wheel, I thought my father in heaven provides when you step out beyond fear. Second obstacle. Well, how do you overcome? Wait a minute. How do you overcome fear? I've got to say this. One, you've got to bind the spirit of fear. We read the scripture. God, well, I don't think we read it. We've got to read this. Let's go back to that scripture. 1 Timothy 1, 6 and 8. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the Spirit of God does not make us timid, fearful, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me as president. Or rather, join me in the sufferings for the gospel. The Bible calls it a spirit of fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear. So you got to bind the spirit of fear. And I mean this, like actively do it. When you feel that fear, it could be a spirit of fear. Say, I bind the spirit of fear in Jesus' name. Do it. I like actually say it. I mean, try it. You'll, you'll see what I'm talking about. Spirits have to obey you in Jesus' name. Then trust that God's with you and then step out. Number two, and this is a big one, not just fearfulness, but unworthiness. Talk about an obstacle. Unworthiness, guilt, shame from sin and spiritual failure. It is, it'll paralyze you. The reality is, you guys, we all blow it. We all sin. We all fail. And unless you're a sociopath, you're going to feel bad about it. It's a good thing you feel bad about it. That means your conscience is working and you know right from wrong. But you can't live with that guilt and shame and run your race. That weight is too heavy. And the reality is, Jesus bore not only your sins, but your guilt and shame of your sins too. So how do you overcome unworthiness? The Bible only has one solution to overcoming the guilt and shame of your sins. One solution. You've got to confess your sins. He made it as easy as possible. He didn't say crawl over glass. He didn't say give more money. He didn't say go on the mission field. You see, in some religions, you have to do good to equal out the bad. Jesus says the penalty of your sin is death. So forget about trying to work off your sins and relieve yourself of guilt by doing good deeds to overweigh the bad deeds. He says that's not the way the gospel works. He's made it so simple. 
how is this so simple? How can it just be, I confess my sins? Well, because, look what the scriptures say. 1 John 1, 9. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just. That's weird. Hang on to that phrase for a moment. To forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. To forgive and cleanse us from all wickedness. What's it mean to be just? The reason all it takes from you and I is confession to the Father about our sins. Be honest about it. Call it what it is. Is because the payment for the sin has already taken place. And you can't trump the blood of Jesus Christ with any good work you ever try to do. Jesus paid the price for your sin on that cross. So when you sin, you confess it to him. And the Father, listen, reverse the just uh, term here. God would be unjust not to forgive you if you belong to Jesus Christ. Because the price has already been paid. Now, some of you believe that or know what I just said, but do you really believe it? Let me tell you how you really believe it. How you know whether you really believe what I just preached. How do you feel after you confess your sin to God? That's how you know whether you believe it or not. After you confess your sin to God, do you walk away with the guilt and the shame or not? You might have to make restitution if you've hurt somebody. You might have to live with some consequences of your sin, like maybe pregnancy or some kind of venereal disease or losing your job or, the, you know, the stress in your marriage. The consequences of sin may not disappear, but the emotional weight of the guilt and shame can go away like that if you believe that the blood of Jesus Christ paid the price for your sins, your guilt, and your shame, and it disappears when you confess your sins to your Father. Can I hear an amen? That's how you know whether you believe it or not. When I confess my sins, I walk away like it never even happened. The devil hates that because he wants to torment you some more and make you, make you give and do out of guilt and shame. He loves that motivator. Look what the psalmist says in Psalm 32. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those who rec- record, whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. So you have boldness to live in complete honesty when you know that God's forgiveness is available. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away. I groaned all day long. What is that? Why? Because God wants your soul cleansed of all wickedness. He wants the guilt and shame gone. So he will press down on you until you finally say, I can't live like this. I'm miserable. And you confess your sin. It's the mercy of God. Some people won't preach on sin these days because people don't want to hear it. But I love you too much not to preach on sin and forgiveness because that's the only way you experience true freedom. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. And you forgave me and all my guilt is gone. Now, let me tell you. You can look in the Bible and see people who did this and people who didn't. King David, adultery, first degree murder. Confessed, received God's forgiveness, moved on. Moses, murder. Confessed, moved on. Peter, cussing and denying even knowing Jesus Christ in front of his peers. But when Jesus returned to him, he confessed and he moved on. Paul Murdering Christians confessed and moved on. Judas betrayed Jesus. Do you think there was forgiveness for him? I know the scriptures say about the son of perdition, but I also know the mercy of God. The mercy of God triumphs over judgment. I believe that if Judas came to Jesus and said, 
house. Man, that was bad. <laughs> I mean, I am so sorry. Will you please forgive me? I have no doubt that he would have been forgiven. But instead he hung himself. There's a lot of Christians that have hung themselves over their guilt and shame. You might be one of them here today. You're sitting here in church, but you just feel spiritually dead, and it's because of your guilt and shame and self-condemnation. I want to say the blood of Jesus Christ is bigger than your sin, and right now, this moment in this house, you can be completely, what did it say? Completely forgiven and cleansed of all wickedness. All you got to do, you can do it while I'm spouting off up here. All you got to do right there where you are is just say, God, forgive me for this. Forgive me for that. Call it what it is. Let it roll off your lips. Say, will you please forgive me for this? And then receive complete forgiveness in the moment that you confess it and then move on. Number three, you have fearfulness, unworthiness, and then worldliness. Worldliness is a real, it's a real, it's a real tripper. I mean, this is like being in a jungle and the weeds are wrapped around your ankles and around your face and it's trying to pull you off into the jungle. Worldliness. Look what Paul says to Timothy. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. The temptations of this world are distractions to your divine destiny. I want to go to the book of Ephesians chapter 5. I want you to read this real quick. We're running out of time, and I've got to get to this next one. So I'm going to hit this one really fast. And then we're going to do the next one, and we're going to receive communion. We're going to get cleansed, forgiven, refilled by the Holy Spirit, and we're going to leave this place the salt and light of the world, warriors for Christ. Let's go to the book of Ephesians. We're going to go to chapter 5. We're going to do this in the New Living New Living Translation, starting in verse 8. Okay, you guys ready for this? No, this is about you. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of the evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Do not be drunk with wine because it will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, making music to the Lord in your hearts. Give thanks for everything to God. That's thanksgiving. And the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus. The devil came against Adam in the beginning, the first man, with the lust of the eyes, the lust of of the flesh, and the pride of life. I'll do whatever I want. Nobody's going to tell me what to do, especially God. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh. I want, I want, I want. And the pride of life. It's my life. I'll do what I want. He tried those on Adam, and he crumbled like like, like like a cracker. He tried the exact same three temptations on Jesus because Jesus had to replace Adam and obey God to be able to be uh, qualified to be the savior of the world because he was sinless. So he had to be tempted the same way Adam was. He passed the test, died for our sins, rose from the dead. Now he breathes his spirit into you. If you give your life to him and you say, Jesus, I receive you as my savior. He breathes his Holy Spirit into you, into your actual being in here. And now he helps you live triumphantly over the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. To overcome worldliness. But here's what I have found. You've got to saturate yourself in the things of God if you're going to succeed. Sin and being saturated with worldliness, with certain types of music and movies and people and giving yourself over to all sorts of... uh, worldly fleshly appetites when you do that it quenches the fire of the holy spirit inside of you 
Your father still loves you. You're still going to heaven if you've given your life to Jesus Christ. But your fire's quenched. It's like somebody, I've got this little fireplace we have in the back, back of our house. Me and my family sit around it and just love sitting around with my family. And we, you know, keep putting fire and to keep stoking the fire and keep building it up, you know. And it starts going down a little bit. And if you kind of move away from it after a while, you start to feel you're kind of cold. Your legs kind of get kind of cold. So you got to move closer to the fire to kind of get warm again. Then you got to get some more wood and put it on the fire. You want to stay as close to the fire as you can. I got to put my feet on it, my bare feet, you know, and hold as long as I can till they warm up. Ah, stay close to the fire. That's what church is. That's what small groups are. That's what going to an all-day fasting and prayer is. That's what coming here is. That's what your prayer is. That's what being in the Word of God is. You're staying close to the fire. If you eliminate these things from your life as a believer and you go hang out with worldly people all the time, there is no way you are going to be excited about Jesus, the Word of God, church, and the kingdom. Because the fire comes from the Holy Spirit. You've got to soak the fire. That's why I pray so much. That's why I'm in the Word of God. It's not because I'm so holy. It's because I know I can get so worldly so fast. Just saying... So how do I overcome worldliness? Number one, live from your new identity. You're the light of the world. That's what we just read. Two, choose wisely where you go, what you do, and who you do it with. Stay filled with the Spirit continually. That's why I listen to worship music so much. Feed my spirit. Man, just keep me spiritually strong and choose the right company. And then the last one, and this is a big one, and we're going to pass out communion as I teach this last one. We'll have the band come up here. Hey, band, as you come up here, um, don't disconnect because you guys probably need to forgive more than everybody else. <laughs> Kidding. So get your communion. Um, the, uh, the usher is going to pass communion out in the aisles. And so band members, uh, make sure that you guys grab your communion to take it up with you up there on stage. This last one's really big, and it's one that God put in my heart all week long. And I was thinking about having communion today, and, and then our head usher texted me and said, we're going to do communion this Sunday? And then Josh said, I've got a great forgiveness song for this Sunday. It's a new one. I thought, oh, man, I think this is an obstacle some of us need to hear today before we move on into 2016, leaving this series on following Jesus into the new year. Unforgiveness is the worst of them all. And there's a reason for it. I know this is hard for us to calculate on this side of heaven because the sins that people have committed against us we feel them and they're raw being sinned against being mishandled being abused being neglected being robbed i mean you feel every ounce of it i mean you feel it what we don't really feel is how we have sinned against the holy god God does. In fact, it is, it is so grievous to him that the payment for our sin, your sin, against him was to sacrifice his son on the cross. So when you read the parable in Matthew 18, which I encourage you to read that this week, maybe this afternoon. When you read the parable that Jesus, the nice fluffy Savior, taught, he said, that the sin that you and I have committed against God is worth about $15 million in earthly currency. And then Jesus said this. It sounds really insensitive, but we have to understand that Jesus sees the clear perspective, the whole picture of heaven, earth, God, sinful human beings, hell. He sees it all very clearly. And Jesus has set the table and has said, your sin against God is about $15 million, and any sin any human being does against you is about $15. So in the parable, Jesus, Jesus tells us something that is real and true. Whether we like it 
or emotionally feel like we can go to to forgiveness or not, you've got to hear what Jesus said. Jesus says that the guy who owed the $15 million comes to God or the master and says, please, please give me time to pay off my debt. Please don't throw me and my family in the jail. Please, please, please. And the Bible says that the master, representing God, was so full of pity and mercy on the man, not only did he give him time to pay off his debt, he completely erased his debt. That's you. The guy leaves, and he finds a brother who owes him about $15. And he grabs him by the neck and starts shaking him. And the guy says, please, please, please forgive me. And he said, no, forget about it. And he throws him to the police, and they throw him in jail. Jesus Christ said this. So will the Father do to you if you don't forgive your brother his sin. Now, it doesn't mean God's the one tormenting you. The tormentors are the devil and his demons who have been sent to kill, steal, and destroy, and to torment and harass. And when evil spirits see that you've been forgiven by Christ, by God, through the blood of Christ, that you won't forgive your brother and sister. And look, I I get caught first. Yesterday during the fasting and prayer, I was cleaning my soul, and I was writing all sorts of stuff down sins and ungodly attitudes and unforgiveness and hatred. I mean, I was writing it all down on that piece of paper. I confessed it all, ripped it all up, threw it in the trash can, took communion, and then started praying for people in the room. We, we all get hurt, and then hurt people hurt people. But here's, but here's the thing that I want you to see today. By holding on to unforgiveness, you're not hurting anybody but yourself. You see, there's a payoff to unforgiveness. We feel justified in holding on to our unforgiveness for what that person did to me or didn't do for me. feel justified. And you would be if God had not slaughtered Jesus on the cross and forgave you for your sins. You would be justified. The emotional payoff of feeling justified feeling like you're controlling and hurting the other person, I will never forgive you for what you did. All that poison is going into your soul, not theirs. Unforgiveness is the poison you drink, hoping the other person will die. Jesus calls calls it torment. You've got to let go of that offense for your sake, not for theirs. Maybe you like the attention and the self-pity. Maybe you use it as an excuse for not getting on with your life. Whatever it is, I'm telling you, the payoff is a poor, poor, poor payoff for the freedom you will experience in your soul and the pleasure of the Father and the heaven opening up over your life through forgiveness. I'm going to tell you this last thing as the ushers ushers passed out. Come in, go ahead and pass it out. I'm going to read you something out of this book I'm reading right now. I'm reading God's Generals. Anybody ever heard of this book, God's Generals? This book, God's Generals, you ought to download it. It's powerful. It's about, uh, I think, 12 men and women of God who rocked the planet with the miraculous of God. God's Generals. I'm reading it because where my wife is right now, and one of the obstacles is fear, unbelief. And I don't want to be a fearful, unbelieving leader in the kingdom of God. So I'm feeding my soul with stories about men and women who cast out devils and healed the sick and raised the dead. Feeding my soul with it. And I came across this portion and this message or this uh, biography of John G. Lake, probably the greatest healer that the planet's ever seen besides the Apostle Paul and Jesus Christ. Awesome story. But listen to this. Jeannie, who's John's wife, was also John's ministry partner. John G. Lake believed his wife possessed a spirit of discernment in a more marked degree than he did. She would often receive a word of knowledge concerning those who were unable to receive healing, 
because of personal difficulty or sin in their life. Do you know the Bible says, is any sick among you? He didn't say the ones that God has chosen to heal. I don't believe that. The Bible says, are any sick among you? Jesus healed them all, all the time. He said, let them call for the elders of the church. Let them anoint them with oil and pray the prayer filled with faith. And the Lord will heal them, raise them up. And if they have committed any sins, they will be forgiven. Many times sin is the doorway to sickness and disease. Sometimes, sometimes. And unforgiveness is the biggest of them all. Because it's a miscarriage of justice after God has forgiven you. The reason I'm preaching this so forcefully today is because I want you free. I want you healed. I want you delivered from torment. This could be the key. The legs had a simple way of operating in their healing ministry. As the people passed before John in his office, he laid hands upon them. Those who were instantly healed were dismissed. But those who continued to suffer or receive a partial healing were sent into another room. Then when Lake finished with the multitude, he would bring Jeannie into the room who would, by the Spirit, personally reveal to each one of them the hindrances of their healing. Upon hearing the inner secrets of their hearts, many would confess and ask God for forgiveness. Then John and Jeannie would pray again and God would heal those who repented instantaneously. Those who refused to repent, even after acknowledging the truth of what Mrs. Lake had told them, went home suffering and their affliction. Sin is not always the reason. Unforgiveness isn't always the reason. But sometimes it is. And Jesus taught a lethal parable about this very thing, unforgiveness. He put it in the Lord's Prayer. A daily prayer. I forgive those who trespass against me. As you Forgive me as I forgive those. I'm going to ask you today to set yourself free. Choose to forgive. You can do it. And you can free yourself of torment. It's polluting your present relationship with the guy who didn't do the wrong to you that the last guy did. That's not fair to him. It's not fair to your marriage. I have a member of the church that keeps talking about his previous church and the pain. I said, hey, let, let, me, let me ask you if you can do something. Can you forgive the last church so it doesn't ruin our relationship? Because I haven't hurt you yet. It's not fair. It's not fair to you. It's not fair to the people around you. Let's let it go today. So I want to ask you right where you are, you guys up here on stage, I want you to first forgive anyone who has ever hurt you. Let them go. It says, forgive me as I forgive those who have hurt me. So we're first. So right now where you are, back there in the booth, get out your list and just start dropping them. Put them into God's hands. Come on, right now, family, this is your moment. Holy Spirit, we ask that you come right now, and we ask that you bring up into our souls, into our memories. Look, forgiveness is not forgetting. It's just forgiving. Let it come up. Don't be afraid to let it come up. Holy Spirit, bring the pigs out of the parlor. Let the junk, let the impurities rise to the surface right now. The face, the name, the encourage. Now, as they come up, just start letting them go. Just give them into the hands of God. Just say, God, I choose in the name of Jesus. I forgive that person. Do it right now. I forgive them. I release them. I forgive them. I release them. Remember, as you're doing this, you're setting yourself free. The poison's coming out. I forgive them. I release them. I let them go. God, you forgave me, so I'm forgiving them. Just keep doing it. Just do it. Come on. This is your moment of freedom. The prison door is open. Forgive them. I forgive him. I forgive him. I'm letting him go. I take authority over the spirit of unforgiveness that has wrapped itself like a rope around some, someone's soul in here today. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, as the elders in the church, Mark and Gary and Kathy and I and Jan, who are here in this house right now, we take authority in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ over the spirit of unforgiveness and lying spirits and, and soul ties. And we break them in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right now, lying spirits, we take authority over you. And we declare freedom to forgive in this house, the power and the peace of the Holy Spirit. I see in my mind's eye these tentacles, these, these vines unwrapping from some people's ankles. 
I, uh, I need uh, some I need communion. Somebody can bring me down some elements. Oh, thank you. Are you giving me your communion? Okay, you're a better Christian than I am. That's powerful. That's amazing. Oh, you're going to go get seconds, all right. This is powerful right here. This isn't a way for, this is the body of Jesus Christ who is broken for our, for our healing. Some of you are letting go of the offender right now. This is the freest day you're ever going to experience. Uh, only second to the day you gave your life to Jesus Christ. The devil's really had you bound up. And today he's defeated through your unforgiveness. Lord, we lift up your body in this house. We want this to be a house of healing, a house of deliverance, a house of freedom, and a house of salvation. Because it's your house and that's who you are. So, Lord, we forgive those who have trespassed against us. And so now we ask you, Lord, to forgive us of our sins. Let's eat the body of Christ together. And Lord, your body, your blood causes demons to flee. So may they flee from this place this morning. And may healings and miracles break out in this house as we drink your blood. Let's drink the blood of Jesus together. I'm going to ask the prayer teams to come down, and we're going to bleed for miracles in this place today. You may need to come down and have, maybe there's been a sickness or a disease in your body that has not been able to be healed. You may have already been healed just sitting in your seat after we did that exercise. But you can also come down here and have these prayer warriors lay hands on you and let's believe for Jesus the healer to heal. Maybe you've never been saved before. You've never given your life to Jesus Christ and you want to give your life to him. I'm going to stand right here. I'm going to ask you to come out of your seat and come down and meet with me. And I want to pray with you the prayer of forgiveness. And you're going to experience the freedom of the forgiveness of your sins and the presence of Jesus Christ.